So we're in this new series, and it's called uh, Designed by God. And today we're going to talk about God's specific plan for you um, and how he designed you to make a difference in this world. And our theme verse has been Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says, We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So, some of you have been here, some of you hadn't. We're going to do this over and over again. I want you to turn to somebody and I want you to say, you are God's masterpiece. Look the other direction. Tell somebody else, you are God's masterpiece. God has given us everything that we need to serve him and make a difference in this world. So how do we discover what he wants us to do? That's what we're going to talk about today. There are five steps that I want you to pay attention to. Step one, if you want to discover what God wants you to do. And by the way, if you have a smartphone and you want to follow along on version, this would be a good day to do it. There's so much scripture. There's so many things that we're going to be flying through. It'd be good to have that. You can email it to yourself as you take notes, whatever. So you just go to uh, seven, you go to... You uh, version, then you go to live, and then you type in, it'll say search, and you type in 75801-802-803, it'll pop up the title of the sermon, and you can follow along. If not, stay there with your listening guides, and we're going to fly through a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. So the first step is, I dedicate my body to God. And this comes from Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So the very first step is, you do not get used by God until you say, God, I dedicate my life. I dedicate this, this uh, finite vessel right here to you. And I ask you to fill my life, fill my body. Because in other places in scripture, it says that God paid for your body. God bought you with a price when Jesus Christ died on the cross. So the very first thing is I offer my body a living sacrifice to God. And you say, God, I don't understand it all, but I declare today that this body, this, this place that's a temple, not because you're special, but because the spirit of God lives in followers, Christ followers, this temple is yours, God. And I dedicate this temple to you. Step two, If you want to know what God wants you to do in life, if you want to get plugged into what God's doing, step two is you've got to eliminate competing distractions. Some of you need to take this step right now. The reason why you haven't been involved in ministry is because you're so busy with other things that you don't have time to do what God created you to do. This comes from Romans 12 verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So after the dedication of my body to God, then comes the act of elimination. I need to get rid of some stuff. If you're serious about serving God, you got to cut some stuff out. You can't keep adding and adding and adding to your life. It doesn't work that way. Step three, you want to be used by God? Then step three is evaluate my strengths. Now, I changed the version on you. I've been using the New Living Translation. I wanted to use the the Phillips translation here on this next one on verse 3. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith God has given to you. I love the way this... What you're supposed to do is be honest about who you are. Be honest about your strengths. Be honest about your weaknesses. Everyone here, there are some things that you are really good at. Everyone here, there are some things that you suck at. And it's okay. Humility is not, um, is not denying my strengths. Humility is being honest about my weaknesses. And so this says have, have a sane estimation of what you're good at. Have a very keen understanding of what you're not good at. Don't do the things you're not good at. Do the things that God created you to do. Step four. 
Cooperate with other believers. This comes from Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So there are four very important implications that come from these verses. And and these aren't on your listening guide. You may want to jot these down. You'll talk about them in your small groups tonight. Number one is every member is a minister in Christ's body. Now, it didn't say that every member was a pastor, but the Bible teaches that every Christ follower is a minister. It's why you need to be involved in a local church. You are part of the body, the local church. And so you are a minister. Um, the, Peter says that, that we are a royal priesthood. You're a priest unto God. You don't need to go through me. You don't need to go through any other human being to get to God. You have the right because you are a son or a daughter of the king, God. You have the right to come to him. So the first thing is every one of you is a minister. Number two is every member has a different function. Not everybody's supposed to do the same thing. Number three is every ministry is important. And number four, every member belongs to all the others. So my life really, if you get down to it, my life does not belong to me. It belongs to the body of Christ. If you're a Christ follower, your life does not belong to you. It belongs to the body of Christ. Nobody is an island unto themselves. You need other people's gifts to help you grow spiritually. They need your gifts. I need your gift. You need my gift. Together we grow to become what God wants us to be. So then we get to step five. Then we use my gifts. Now, we're going to run through some here, and and in the weeks ahead, we're going to actually dive into the Scripture and look at all of the spiritual gifts, but we're going to fly through them just today. Romans 12, verse uh, verse 6, starting in verse 6. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is in giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Now these are just some of the spiritual gifts. But here's what I want you to realize. If you're a Christ follower, and probably 90% of you would claim to be a Christ follower, then you have a spiritual gift. And we're going to try to figure out how to, to unwrap those gifts and use them for God's glory. But what you need to realize is you are not an accident. God planned your life. God knew you would be here today. In fact, God started forming you for ministry in your mother's womb. And I get this from Psalm 139, verses 14 through 16. The psalmist says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Even before you were born, God knew that you'd be sitting here today. He knows every day of your life before you were even born. And he planned something beautiful To come out of your life. Now, every time I I have a small group and we begin to talk about stuff like this, people do not believe that they're beautiful. And I want you to think about if you have a child, no matter what that child does, they still are beautiful in your eyes. And I want you to begin comprehending that God, your heavenly father, sees your potential. Yes, he knows where you are, but he also sees what you can become. And he loves you just like you are, but he wants you to, to be something even better. And I want you to watch this video. This is by uh, Jeff Bethke. It's, he's a spoken word uh, artist, and, and this is the world's greatest artist. Watch this. A guy came up to me the other night, right? And he was like, who's your 
favorite artist, and like most people do when they ask a question, he didn't really care about my answer and proceeded to tell me what he thought the true answer was. And he continued about his struggle to recognize who he said was the greatest of all time. He said, I mean, is it Shakespeare? Is it Frost? Picasso? Michelangelo? Is it the Beatles? Rembrandt? Michael Jackson? Beethoven? And he went on and on and on about who he thought was the greatest, not recognizing even this infrastructure to answer that question was misled and outdated. And so finally, I kindly smiled and said, okay, sir, you asked me who is the greatest of all time. Now you tried to share yours, so let me share mine because there's no debate about who is the greatest because all those other artists you mentioned, yeah, the greatest made them. And see, this artist, he's a beast, a lion, the name above names. You don't even realize it, but you encounter his art every day. And he deserves all of the acclaim. He deserves all of the fame because all other artists pass away, but he remains. Oh, by the way, his name is God, Yahweh, creator, your maker. He's infinitely creative, sir. There is no one greater. And and I can tell it looks like you're starting to get mad at me. But don't be jealous just because your favorite artist might bend words and my favorite artist bends galaxies. See, in the palm of his hand, he holds all the sand, the author of life, when he whispered, let us make man. See, what if I told you that you are God's poetry? You were created because someone else was creative. See, long ago, he picked up his eternal paintbrush, dipped it in his glory, placed us in his story, and said, they will live for me. And I know it sounds outlandish, but we're not the product of random chances. And in fact, we're not even the vine. We're actually the branches in the same way we're not the artist. We're actually the canvas. Because in an instant, God started to make art shape you uniquely and beautiful individual from the start. And he touched the canvas of flesh and said, this one is better than the rest. I'll give them so much of my image. So even when they're hot off the press, you can still see the steam of my breath. And so he crafted and he made every arm and leg, ligaments, tendons, muscles, blood vessels, veins, arteries. He said, they're going to have a part of me. And about that time, the guy butted back in and said, that sounds good and all, but... I'm wretched and filthy. God won't use me, will he? And I said, ah, see, that's what's awesome about God. No matter what we've done, he can still use us. Even though other artists, once they have broken equipment, they start to make excuses. God instead doesn't refuse us and neither does he accuse us. He redeems us in Jesus. Promises never to lose us. So stop saying that you're dirt. Stop saying you're scum of the earth. You ought to be careful about how you talk about someone else's work. Because if we've trusted in Jesus, we can stop saying we're filthy. I mean, all that is anyways is just pride clothed in false humility. I mean, if we only believed that we're truthfully created in his likeness, then we'd stop saying we're wretched, filthy, shameful, guilty. But instead, knowing if we trusted Jesus, we're righteous. I mean, don't you see we're drawn to repentance because of his kindness? So how dare you call yourself worthless when he says you're priceless? But see, the best part is since God is ultimately for God, he'll get glory out of you, whether you like it or not, because even temple ruins point to an architect, even if the temple is shot. And all I'm saying is that he's behind it all. So why do we insist on giving him no credit at all? I mean, he's the one that gave Van Gogh the imagination that changed the face of painting. Tell me who else is responsible for Mozart being able to compose at age five without formal training? See, he made the fingers that Beethoven used to make art on the keys. For Pete's sake, he made Stevie Wonder, one of the best musicians of our time, and he couldn't even see. 
And that's why in the same way that our lives are borrowed time, this poem is borrowed lines, because the most ridiculous statement we could ever say is that this poem is mine because we're not self-sustaining. No, we're not self-creating. Technically, nothing we do is original. We're just imitating, and that's not a diss. All I'm trying to say is this. Even our own creativity is nothing more than an outflow of his. And so I'll end with this. You know that quote about giving credit where credit is due? Well, if that's true, it's about time we give God his rightful credit too. Because he's a God in the business of making old things new. And here's the truth. He's not through with making a masterpiece of you. careful criticizing the creator's work in another person. I'm tired of Christ followers being beaten down by other Christ followers. I'm tired of folks criticizing when the Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let no filthy talk come out of your mouths. No coarse jesting. No cussing. No filthy talk. Because you're a masterpiece. Created in the likeness of God. And do you know what declares your worth? You're worth as much as someone is willing to pay for you. And so when you look in the mirror, you remember that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords gave his greatest gift to purchase you. That's why you're valuable. Not because you're married to so-and-so, not because you have a job here, not because you do these things, because the King of Kings has declared you're valuable. Let me tell you some things that are true about you, whether you believe them or not. Number one... I was shaped for a purpose. You were shaped for a purpose. It is not an accident that you're here, that you look like you do, that you have the talents and abilities that you do, that if you're a Christ follower, it's not an accident that God gave you a spiritual gift. Number two, you are unique. There is no one else in the world like you. If you don't do the ministry God has planned for you, it will not get done because no one else is created like you. God made you unique. And number three... I am, you are wonderfully complex. Now, I don't know if you understand the meaning of that, but Psalm 139 talks about God actually knitting you together to create the you that you are, and you're wonderfully complex. Now, not only do I not want you to criticize others, I don't want you to look in the mirror and criticize yourself because you need to pay attention to this next verse, Romans 9.20. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? Ever done that? 
ever compared yourself with someone else? Why didn't you make me taller, shorter, faster? Why don't you make me read better? Why don't you make me smarter? Why don't you make me like them? The one thing we cannot do is compare our gifts to others because God chooses them. They all come from him and it's a gift. We need to use them. Do not rebel against God and say, why didn't you make me different? Because God said, I made you this way for a reason. He gave you a design and a purpose. Now look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 7. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit gives them. There are different ways of serving, but the same Lord is served. There are different abilities to perform service, but the same God gives ability to everyone for their service. The Spirit's presence is shown in some way in each one for the good of all. All of this goes back to God. Your gift is to bring glory to God and build up the kingdom. It's not for your benefit. So there's spiritual gifts, there's different ways of serving, there's different abilities... And we're going to study all of these in the weeks ahead. After next Sunday service, there'll be a little form you can fill out. And then my small group, we're going to go ahead and, and after uh, after September, we're going to study um, something called network where you will look at your passion. You'll look at your uh, abilities. You'll look at all of these things and you'll try to determine where God, how God made you and where you fit into the body of Christ. But for now, we're going to talk about this thing called shape. God shaped you for service. We at New Life believe there's five things that God molds you with and uses you uh, in order to prepare you to serve his kingdom. Those are spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about those in just a second. Heart, that means your passion, what you're passionate about. Abilities, those are natural talents, and those are different from spiritual gifts. Natural abilities are given to you in your mother's womb when you're born. Spiritual gifts are given to you when you are reborn, when you become adopted into God's family. Then there are your personality and everybody's personality is a little bit different. But let's say that your spiritual gifts are the same. Your passion is the same. Your abilities are the same. Your personality is the same. There is no way you are going to match up with the last one, which is experiences. Because you've had some experiences. I haven't. I've had some experiences. You haven't. And that's going to mold and frame us the way we do ministry in the name of God is because of what we've been through. So we're going to study those more. And then next week, you'll actually have this thing where you go through all of the, the spiritual gifts, heart, and all of that. Try to figure out where you're supposed to serve him. God uniquely shapes you different than anyone else on the planet for a specific purpose. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 one says this. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. So Paul, and, and there's four basic passages, we'll go over those in the week's head, but, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins discussing spiritual gifts, and he talks about what the proper way to use those gifts is. And then in the middle of it, so 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 14, he talks about all these gifts. And then right in the middle of it is 1 Corinthians 13. You've all heard about it. It's the love chapter. And Paul's going, okay, we got all these spiritual gifts, but let me just tell you something. If you don't love other people when you use your gift, your gift is useless in the kingdom of God. He said, you're like a clanging gong or a noisy cymbal, just making all kinds of racket. Nobody can understand what you're trying to do because you're not using your gift correctly. So let's let's not be ignorant. The purpose of this this uh, series is to teach you about spiritual gifts. So first of all, who receives spiritual gifts? Only Christians. Only Christ followers get a gift. First Corinthians two fourteen says this: People who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit means. So what he's saying is, if you're a non-Christian, you have no spiritual capacity to communicate with God or to understand God. You must have the Holy Spirit living in you. So, every person is a creation of God, but not every person is a child of God. 
They can, um, you must choose to become a Christian. So when you ask God to be the forgiver of your sins, the leader of your life, he comes into your life. Then as you cooperate with him day by day, he begins to change you from the inside out and he gives you greater capacity to understand things. When a baby is born, do, do most babies understand quantum physics? How many of you understand quantum physics? Liars. Right? When, when a baby is born, they don't understand everything about the world. And when someone comes to Christ, they do not understand all spiritual things. God gives them capacity. So, it's like this suitcase. The person without Christ is empty of the Spirit of God. You're born, and, and the person without Christ, you know, they can, they can have a job, they can have a family, they can be married, they can love their job, they can love everything, but they have no capacity to talk to God. And, and see, sometimes, ladies, don't you wish your husbands could tune into your mind so that they could figure out all of the feelings and all the thoughts bouncing around in there, because dudes don't have a clue. Even when we say we do, we're lying because we do not understand you. Wouldn't it be great? It's almost as if you could do the mind meld, you know, that Spock did. And he gets it all and he's like, oh, now I understand why you're crying, sweetheart. That ain't going to happen. But here's the thing. The Bible says that that a non-Christian does not have the spirit of God with them. So Christian things are foolishness to them. Spiritual things are foolishness to them because they do not have the capacity to understand because they don't have the spirit of God living in them. If your body had no spirit living in it. How would we classify your body? It would be dead. And so the person without Christ is spiritually dead, separated from God, destined to a place separated from God. And the only hope they have of heaven is to come to God and have God put his spirit in them. Now, every Christian does have God's spirit living in them, and every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. We'll come back to that more later. Number two, what are the spiritual gifts? Well, they're various. They're numerous. You can just put all, many, whatever you want to stick in that. Let me just give you some quick uh, reference guides um, from, Ephes- from 1 Corinthians 12, and this is Ephesians 4. Here's just several. Wise counsel, clear understanding, knowledge, faith, healing the sick, miraculous acts, prophecy, distinguishing between good and evil spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostle, teachers, miracle workers, helpers, leaders, evangelists, pastor, hospitality, and service. No single list of spiritual gifts in the Bible is exactly like any other list. In these verses, I gave you just 18 of them. But I believe there are also other gifts like listed in the Old Testament. Gifts of music. There are gifts of, of craftsmanship. God, The Bible says that God sent His Holy Spirit to make craftsmen who could design the tabernacle and do incredible things artistically. And then when they had the temple, there were men who could do things that God gifted them to do. So there's a lot of spiritual gifts. Um, spiritual gifts determine what you do in the bo- in the body of Christ. Notice, no single gift is given to everyone, and likewise, no single person has every gift. Spiritual gifts determine what you do in the body of Christ. Number three, where do spiritual gifts come from? Sunday school answer? God, thank you. We can each do different things, yet the same God works in all of us and helps us do everything we do. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 6. 1 Peter 4, 10. Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. God can give any gift he chooses to any person he chooses at any time he chooses. Spiritual gifts are God's idea. They're free. They're gifts. So that means you can't earn a spiritual gift. You, even if you desire a certain spiritual gift, God is the one who chooses who gets what. Number four. Why are spiritual gifts important? 
God designed it that way so that when you use your gift and I use my gift, this, the body grows. They help the body grow. So you can, you can look at a church, and if a church isn't growing, what it means is some or maybe a majority of people are not using their spiritual gifts because when we all discover and use our spiritual gifts, the result is incredible glory to God, and the result is people want to come and be a part of that. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, The Holy Spirit displays God's power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. So the whole reason I'm supposed to use my gift is to help you. All right, back to the suitcase. Now, when you invite God to come into your life, when you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and lady of your life, the Bible says that he deposits the Holy Spirit within you. But the Holy Spirit does not come empty-handed. He brings at least one gift, and he deposits that gift inside of you. Now, the, the gift is not the same thing as the Holy Spirit. And, and we talked about this in our small groups last week. The fruit of the Spirit is not the same thing as a spiritual gift. Fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians 5, and 23. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are marks of maturity in the Christian life, but those are not spiritual gifts. We will discuss those, but a gift is something that God brings to you. And unless you discover that gift, unwrap it, and use it in the service of the kingdom, then you're failing in the Christian life. And it is a sin not to use your spiritual gift. It's a sin to waste the gift God's, God gives you. When you don't use your gift, there's two Folks, two groups of folks who do not, uh, who cannot grow. You, because you're not using what God has given you. And others who need to benefit from what you have, from the gift that God gave you. Number five, when do I find out my spiritual gifts? This is profound. Are you ready? When I get involved in ministry. What that means is when you get off of your butt and serve. It's easier to discover your gift through ministry than to discover your ministry through your gift. Now, how many of y'all played baseball when you were little? You remember the first time you played? I remember the first time I played. I think I was seven. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have coach pitch and they didn't have machine pitch and all that stuff back in the day. And so when I was seven, my dad said, you want to play baseball? I said, sure. So we, he takes me out to this field and it was in the boondocks in, in Borger. Um, it'd be like, like Elkhart from, from, I'm kidding, um, from Palestine, but you understand what I'm saying. Maybe Slocum, Natchez. Um, anyway, it was, it, this, this field was horrible. Well, we get there late. Dad didn't know exactly where it was. We get there late. And so when, when I get there, the only position that's available, everybody, every other position is filled is right field. Well, I didn't know right field's where you put the scrubs. And so he said, go to right field. Yes, sir. I ran out there and, and he would hit me a few balls. Well, my brothers were much older than me, 14, 12 years older than me. From the time my brother said when I could sit up, they started throwing the ball with me. And then when I was old enough to stand up, they would have me pitch batting practice to them, my older brothers, because they were. And so it just, this just went on my whole life. So I was pretty good at catching ball and I was pretty good at throwing the ball. So, um, it wasn't long before he moved me to the infield. And then, um, you know, he started practicing. He goes, wow, you can, you can catch the ball. And, yeah, so what? And so anyway, at the end, he goes, okay, we need to find a pitcher. And so, I mean, this was bad. They didn't have months of practice before you started. I think we, I think like two days later, we were starting our first game. And so we needed a pitcher. And so he made everybody on the team come to the infield and start throwing pitches. And I mean, dudes were bouncing them. Dudes were hitting the backstop. It was, it was, it was comical. Well, I think I was the last one in line. So I get up there and I start pitching. After about 20 pitches, he stops and he says to my dad, he's starting the first game. And my dad goes, you know what you're talking about? And he goes, he's the best we got. Now, how, how did the coach know I could pitch? 
He didn't. I didn't have any clue that I could. I'd throw them to my brothers in the backyard, but I'd started the first game. I ended up being a decent pitcher. I pitched all the way through my senior year in high school. Here's the point. Had I never tried, I never would have known what I could do. So if you want to know what God wants you to do, then you've got to experiment. There's actually four E's that you need to go through to find your ministry. Experiment through doing ministry. When I first got into ministry, I sang. I was in college and I was in a choir and, and my, my uh, major was actually church music at Baylor. And at church music, you had to have an emphasis, which was singing. And then you had to have, it wasn't really a minor, but I played keyboard because that's all I could do. And so what I told God was, I said, God, if you want me to sing, I'll sing. And so I started at this little church and I was the, I was the music minister at this little bitty church outside of Waco uh, at China Spring. And so... The first Sunday I'm there, they said, we need a youth minister. There were like three teenagers. He said, you want to try? And I mean, I'm 19 at the time. And I said, sure, I'll try. And so I just started working with teenagers. And, and as I started teaching, teenagers started coming. They started getting it. Their parents would call and say, hey, we appreciate what you did. My kid said, you said this. And I'm like, well, I don't really remember that, but sure. And so I would just take the scripture and we would read scripture and I would make it understandable. That's all I thought I was supposed to do. One day my pastor says, hey, will you, will you preach? And I said, sure. And so I didn't screw it up too bad. So he gave me another opportunity later throughout the 19 years that I was in youth ministry, more and more people began to give me opportunities to preach. And I hope that here 30 years later, I've been in ministry 30 years. I hope I'm better at preaching today than I was when I got started. But I never would have known if I hadn't given it a try. So if you're going to figure out what your spiritual gift is, you need to experiment. Second thing you've got to do is... um, Oh, wait, I was going to tell you this. Here's, Here's what you think about You're going to try to discover your primary spiritual gift, but you may not find that until you start working. So the mantra that we have is apply your heart and your hands to the place of greatest demand. Apply your heart and your hands to the place of greatest demand. Once you say that, apply your heart and hands to the place of greatest demand. One more time, apply your heart and hands to the place of greatest demand. What that means is there are some critical ministries that we have going on at New Life. One of the most critical is what's going on in the back right now. And we always need more people back there. And it's okay to go experiment. You go back there and you come out and you're, you're wild-eyed and all that stuff. Um, Jeff Gillis, they're, they're gone uh, for a vacation right now, but he went back and worked with the, uh, the, the, the first through third graders. And he came out, he was just kind of shaking. And he goes, I'm going to kill them or they're going to kill me. And I'm like, it's okay. They know you suck at it. That, you know, that you could ask the kids and they're like, oh, please don't send that white haired guy back. And he's going, please don't make me go back there. You know, it's okay to experiment, but realize this, you've got to give something a try and you may have to do it more than once before you find out if you're good at it or if you enjoy it. So there's another E second thing is examine your feelings when you're ministering. When you get finished with ministry, you should feel satisfied on the inside. You should feel good about it. You say, I I contributed to the kingdom of God today. Janie and I will talk a lot of times on Sunday afternoons and she'll go, she'll she'll tell me about her three-year-olds or 18 months to three-year-olds and she'll go, today they got it. And she'll say, all of them, she'll have anywhere from 10 to 18 18 months to three-year-olds, and she'll go, all of them sang today. They knew the answers to the Bible story and should say they got it. And so she says, you know, in our minds, we're thinking we helped advance the ball down the field just a little bit when we do what God has created us to do. So second thing is examine your feelings. Third, this is very important, is evaluate your effectiveness. 
If, if when you teach, people run away screaming or they're snoring louder than you're speaking, you're probably not a teacher. Okay, so you may feel good, and this this happens all the time. People will come to me. People will write it. By the time we finish this series, I guarantee you people will say, I'm passionate about this. And one of the things, if I know them, I'm going to go, that's awesome, you're passionate. You can't do it. You're not any good at it. And so I don't care if you're passionate at it. If when you do it, people, again, they run screaming, or if they're not telling you, good job, you're probably not gifted, and it's okay. That's That's perfectly fine. The last thing is expect confirmation from the church. This is how I eventually figured out I was supposed to preach. And one of the things we'll do in this whole process is you're going to have an observation assessment, which means you're going to give that to people who know you well, that you respect their walk with Christ. Don't go find somebody who never goes to church and say, hey, fill this out about me, because they're going to have a warped view. They're not going to be in tune with God, so they're not going to understand where you're gifted. You find people, you respect their walk with Christ, you ask them to, to fill this out. And what they're going to do is they'll go through this whole process, and then at the end, it'll, it'll say, if you were to guess what their gifts were take a guess at what their primary gift is and i've shared this with many of you but when i did this uh, about 12 or 13 years ago i gave it to janie and two of my best friends at the time that i met with every week uh, to pray with and, and study the scripture with and and when i got it back all three of them said i think this guy needs to be a pastor that was the big kick in the pants that i needed to say, okay, it's about time that, that I stepped out. Cause, cause when I was a youth minister, I got to teach and I got to do all that stuff, but, but it's, it's a different level when you're, when you're a pastor. There is no job on the planet like it. There's no job that, that is as fulfilling, but I'm going to tell you, there's no job as hard either. Because Paul talks about this. He says, when you hurt, he says, I hurt. When you succeed, I feel like I succeed. When Satan's attacking you, I feel like I'm attacked. There's nothing like that in the world. And so when, when you send me things and you say, man, God spoke through you today, or, or here's a praise, or that, that puts wind in my sails and sometimes gets me through a dark period. Because I'm going to tell you, there's an enemy who's real and he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me too. And it's real easy to focus on the negative voices. Somebody the other day wrote me this big, long email, and they said, oh, I'm sorry for contacting you. I wrote them back, and I said, don't be sorry. I like emails like this. So I'm not, don't send me emails today. It won't count. You have to wait at least a week. Is there anyone here who was considered an accident by your parents? You know, when your mom found out she's pregnant, she said, oops. I was. Um, I was big time. Um, and and uh, I didn't know this until much later. Right after I was born, I mean like a week or two after I was born, dad went into the hospital and they told my, they told my brothers and my sister that dad went in to get a cyst removed. And uh, my brother was much older before he realized what happened, you know, because back then they didn't, you know, they didn't do those very often. That was a very uncommon uh, surgery. But dad, uh, dad was fixed. And so he couldn't have any more kids after that because mom said, you're not touching me. Uh, I know what happened last time. Well, here's the thing. Your parents may not have planned you. But God did. 
My parents thought I was an accident, but God said, no, I, I intended for him to be there. God intended for you to be here. And, and God has this unique role for you to play in the kingdom of God, and that's what your ministry is going to be. And the local church is the place where God has designed it, that you discover, develop, and use your spiritual gifts. And let me tell you this. Let me get on my soapbox for just a second. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus did not promise to build your ministry. He promised to build the church. And so, yes, you may have a ministry. Awesome. Yay. We're, we're all advancing the, the ball down the field a little bit. You may have a ministry outside this church. But the bride of Christ is who Jesus died for. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so when, when, people, when people ask me to do stuff, if it helps the body of Christ, then I'm going to do it. If it doesn't help the body of Christ, I'm probably not going to do it. Because I don't have time to do something that does not fulfill what God has called me to do. And honestly, you don't either. Because there's going to be a time. You're, the, the clock is ticking. When, when your, your life will be snuffed out and your spirit will leave your body. And your spirit will last forever in a place called heaven. And, and I'm determined come hell or high water, I'm going to keep on building the church until... Until I'm dead. That's what God has called me to do. And I kind of think some of y'all want to be involved in that. Well, let's very quickly. I'm over. The next part of shape is heart. So let me just run through your, your blanks there and then we're done. Your heart is the real you. This is what you're passionate about. Um, Psalm 37, 4 says, do what the Lord wants and he will give you your heart's desire. So your heart determines three things. Your heart determines why you say the things you do. Why you feel the way you do. Why you act the way you do. Passion determines where you serve in the church. You have a spiritual gift that determines what you do. Passion determines where you do it. Now God gave you a heart and, and it's your choice whether to use your passions for good or for evil. To build up the kingdom of God or to build up your kingdom. First Samuel twelve twenty says this. Serve the Lord with all your heart. So here's some, just some questions to get you started. If I could snap my fingers and know that I couldn't fail, what would I do? At the end of my life, I'd like to look back and know that I'd done something about you fill in the blank. And then here's a good one. If I were to mention your name to some of your friends, what would they say you're really interested in and passionate about? We'll talk more about this stuff uh, in small groups tonight.